Thanks for tuning into The Hustle, a show about the ideas, processes, people, and cultures behind designing meaningful digital products. I'm Anthony Armanderas, partner and head of design at Funsize, a digital product design studio. Today, I'm here with Mikhail Cho, founder of Crew, a platform that connects exciting companies to freelance designers and design agencies, Unsplash, a destination for free high-quality resolution photography, Crew Collective, and Cafe in Montreal. Um, he's a writer, contributor to uh, publications like The Next Web, Inc. Magazine, Ted Ed, and writes a whole lot of Medium. Uh, he started his uh, business, one of his businesses, at least with his wife, and was formerly an Olympic development soccer player. We met at Montu's, and I thought that um, he should come on the show and tell a little bit about his story. Mikkel, um, why don't you say hi and tell us a little bit about who you are and what, what your world looks like. Yeah, thanks a lot, Anthony. Thanks for having me on this. Um, I mean, it, it's crazy to even be like kind of talking about these stories. I remember I came from the U.S., ended up in Canada, followed my now wife, Steph, who is my co-founder and all of these things. Uh, everything started actually in the basement of her parents' house. And it was the only way kind of that we were able to stay in Canada and get everything going. Uh, so I, I look at, you know, her parents were a really big part of helping make this thing happen. Uh, and yeah, everything that has come from those beginning stages and all the stuff that we learned, you know, trying to make it work, trying to go from a country to a country and having debt. You know, I had $40,000 in student debt uh, at the time, no job. And everything was going to be starting. And then it, I came to Montreal, Canada, and realized that you actually have to be able to speak French to get most oh. jobs. <laughs> oh, man. So there was like just all kinds of layers of challenges. Uh, and I noticed that, you know, we had just, we just met. So it's not like we had years or even months of being together to know how to solve problems. Um, but we started to solve them, you know, just one after another, after another, after another. And within a couple of years, you know, I had, I found a job working at a small design studio here. Uh, my loans were paid off actually through this amazing action that her dad took. So her dad actually uh, opened up a, a homeowner's line of credit, paid off my student loans, and I paid him because the rate was better. This was at the time in like 2008, 2009, when everything was going crazy with wow. student loan interest rates. Uh, so without you know that level of support, it would have been very challenging you know to go at the pace that we did. Uh, but through all of that, you know that's those are deep challenges. Those are the challenges where you're not even thinking about how to build products, or you're not thinking about how to start companies. You're just you're just trying to figure out on a baseline how to survive financially, uh, kickstart something. And when you get through those sorts of things, I think it prepares you really well for some of the other things that we've now started to do. You know, so the projects with Crew and Unsplash and our office space, the collective and cafe, how those things come about, you know, when you're making those things and they're new and they're fresh, it has a lot of those challenges and similar things of, that we experienced together when I, when I first came to Canada. So was the, um, was the goal originally to get out of debt and start a business or... Or how, how did the idea of the bit of starting a business come along, and and how did you and your now wife decide that you guys were going to do this together? Yeah, uh, I think I, I compare 
how we move forward, you know, financially and with human freedom. Um, it's very similar to, you know, a pyramid of you're trying to solve, you have to get up to self-actualization, right? So there's this principle in psychology where if you don't have your baseline needs met, you know, if you don't have food, shelter, these sorts of things, you can't even think about how to be great at something. You know, you're, you're just thinking about survival at, at its basics. Yeah. And uh, I think it's very similar, you know, in that sense where I was just focused, so focused on that survival part. It hadn't really entered my mind that, you know, we're going to start a company and these sorts of things at that stage. It was just about like, I, I can't even operate with this negative number. You know, I, I was just in the red, you know, for, yeah. for two years, three years. And people, it's worse for a lot of people. And I, I know how that feels. Uh, and it feels like you can't really think about any home run opportunities. You know, you've got this thing that sits there every every month and you see it slowly, if any, going down. Yeah. Um, so your brain is just sitting on that. That's the level that we were at. But as it starts to clean off, you know, you move up in the pyramid. You know, you're sort of like, okay, I solved solve this a bit. I'm starting to get over the hump and think about some other things. You know, what do, how do we solve this long term? You know, how, do, how can we create some sustainability in the future and you start to open up some space to be able to think about that. And that's where some of these other, you know, the idea of starting a business came about. You know, um, Natalie and I started fun size and we run it together. And a lot of people ask us like, isn't that, um, really challenging to work with your significant other? Yeah. And, uh, you know, both of us, uh, answer the same way. Like, no, it's really easy. You know, like we, we mesh really well together and, we enjoy doing this. Um, do you, how well do you guys work together and how do you create the proper separation of, of, um, you know, the focus you need to put on the business and innovative ideas and the next big thing, plus your home life and your relationship? Yeah, I think that's a great question. It was even a, I mean, we've raised a bit of investment, uh, and it's typically a no, no in the investment world to invest in couples. So like a lot of investors were not interested in anything simply because we were a couple and we thought that was actually a little strange, not, not coming from that world. We're like, actually, you know, these are, this is a very healthy relationship. We've proved, we've been together for a very long time. We're comfortable being transparent and open with each other. I understand the cases where it can go wrong and those sorts of things. But I think any relationship can go wrong. Yeah, maybe if you guys are in a relationship and you start a company together, the chance that uh, it gets nasty or something increases. But also the chance that, great things happen, I think increases as well. Yeah. I, I find that, that notion of risk with married couples, I just don't, I just don't get it. I mean, yeah. I think when you're, you know, I've had businesses before with a business partner and even though you have a great business relationship, it doesn't necessarily mean that your destinies are aligned. Right. I think when you work with your significant other, you are directly tied to, you know, like the, there's the vision is much clearer and, and it's, it's a, it's a, it's a do or die thing. Yeah. And anyway, that's, that's uh that's interesting. Yeah. I think, and when you come home, you know, you, you understand each other. There's an empathy with what everybody went through in the day. And I've heard that from other entrepreneurs that have ended relationships because, you know, they're like my spouse or my uh, significant other didn't understand how, what I go through in a day. Yeah. And I think that's, that is one of the benefits. You know, you, you, you totally get it. You, without saying anything, you know what you've been through together during that day. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so you so you guys uh, started. You know, I'm imagining you're starting this in a basement um, from nothing. 
now you're now you guys are 20 or 30 employees across what four countries or three or four countries uh four yeah four countries 30 30 okay. 35 people over how long? Uh, three, three and a half years. That's pretty impressive. Um, so talk, talk, let's talk more about crew. Where did the idea come from? What are you aiming to do? Uh, how are you guys set up? Like, what are some of the biggest challenges you're facing? How, and how did you get to where you are right now? Yeah. So what the, the, you know, one of the first kind of really interesting positions that I was able to get in Montreal was at, uh, that design studio. And that's where I fell in love with what was possible uh, with the internet and with design, uh, but I also saw a lot of the challenges that happen. You know, when you're doing design as a service in a studio environment, uh, you've got these short-term projects. You have a team that is partially full-time and short-term. Uh, you're watching out for this balance line for the future. Like, how can we plan this all out? Uh, you're working with clients, and a lot of the work with the clients ends up seeping into the actual creative work. And I saw it happen. A ton where that would start to skew in the entirely opposite direction, where we would have almost seventy percent of our company was people who weren't designing. You know, yeah. they were there to help make sure that these. And I get it. There's the relationships are complex, and these are tough projects that we're working on. Uh, but I, not coming from that industry, I, I felt that there was some things that could be improved. That there was actual process. Like, what if you just focused on that and tried to make that better. Uh, so I actually left the studio after that with a couple of friends and we, we, we took a shot at it. You know, we, we started small, there was just two of us. And we said, what would it look like the best sort of process to run this through based on everything that's been written everywhere? And we were new at this completely. So we just pulled everything in and started trying things. Uh, and at the same time, there was this uh, startup accelerator that was starting in Montreal. It's almost like Y Combinator, but based in Montreal. Mm-hmm. And we were foreign to the world of startups completely. But what we saw is, you know, they were doing $25,000 for three months uh, in this program. They would give you $25,000 and in exchange, they'd ask for 6% of the company. So when we had started, we had some ideas of things that we wanted to do. We really looked up to, you know, 37 signals model where you build base camp at the same time as taking on client work that really appealed to us. So we had some of these ideas sitting on the side and we said, you know, if a client came to us today and said, we'll give you $25,000 and you can build whatever you want. And all we want is 6% of it. You know, for us, we're like, hell yeah, that's, that's amazing. You know, we want to do that for sure. Uh, So that's how we looked at that opportunity and we applied and we got in actually with no product, uh, just a bunch of ideas. And I think when I speak to our investor now, who is uh, still heavily involved, he, he remembers back to that time and it, he says that it was really just a, a spark in the people on our team that he saw, that saw that there was potentially something there uh, that we would be able to figure something out. And when we started in that program, you know, we had so many of those ideas and it was, it was tough, man, because we were going up, there's 10 companies that get selected out of 500 companies that apply. A lot of these companies have millions of people using their products already and you're stepping into a three-month process where at the end you're pitching in a giant room of all the investors that you need to know in Canada and on the East Coast. So the stakes were pretty high and we were like, (laughs) oh man, we had never even done this before. Uh, Wow, that's 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 intense. Yeah, and I think what they saw, everybody saw, we went through that and we, we pitched 
uh, we pitched what we had and it was, we made a lot of progress. Though we didn't hit you know, a million people using our product, people saw what we went from on that first day where basically we pitched them three different ideas. We had these like, even these like terrible shirts that were like extra large and the logos were faded when we got them and looked beige. It looked just, we just looked like we had no idea what we were doing. To three months later, uh, being able to articulate an idea, what we wanted to work on, uh, and, and speaking well about it, showing that we could build product and take something to market and do that without ever having done it before. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Um, so um, can you can you give us a quick overview of what Crew's mission is? Yeah, so the, the focus for Crew uh, was to, if we can deliver high-quality work to people who know how to do great work, uh, that is the essence of what it is. Yes, we're starting in design and development. That's the area that we know, that we come from. Uh, it's one of the most challenging, and it's a lot of where the future of business is headed. And we want to help uh, freelancers and studios establish consistency. That's one of the big challenges. You know, Often, the reason why sometimes you're interested in joining a, a bigger agency or getting something full-time is because it gives you consistency. And with Crew, we wanted to have the backs of freelancers and studios who did good work where we can take away a lot of that back office stuff and dealing with finding consistent, high-quality work. And you can focus a lot more on the creative process. Oh, that, um, that, that's big, right? I mean, one of our first employees, actually, uh, Rick, who used to host this podcast with me, um, left Fun Size to start his own studio. And he, you know, he, he was talking on Twitter just the other day, he's like, man, I'm, like, I'm doing a lot more business development and project management than I thought. Yeah. And I would imagine, just based on my own experience of being a freelancer, um, you, probably sp- you probably spend 10 to 20% of your time doing biz dev. You probably spend 10 to 20% of your time uh, doing like logistics or admin stuff, 10 to 20% uh, doing PM work. So like, in a, if, you, if you're just working alone trying to navigate the space, at best you're working um, 50% on design unless you work 60 hours a week. Right, right. You're exactly right. And that's what I experienced when you know, I started with one partner. Uh, I basically became the project manager slash designer for everything and biz dev. And I, I noticed that. So it's like, what if I could kind of productize myself? You know, if I could turn myself into a product and give that to every freelancer or studio... Uh, that could be really interesting. Get that amount of time that you're spending on logistics and project management down as much as possible, as close to you know, 0% as we can, and at the same time, help clients still feel that human connection that you feel when you work with in a creative act. That's, that's awesome. So um, how many, um, what, what is the mix on crew between small studios and as or freelancers? Uh, it's about two-thirds is freelancers and a third is studios. Okay. So I have a question for you, if you don't mind asking, just because I'm really interested. Um, actually, Fun Size was started, um, we got our start by working with a company that was similar to yours many years ago. I was freelancing. Yeah. I, I was using the service. It was called Scoutsy. Yeah. Um, and I and I worked. I did a couple project with them, and then all of a sudden, I uh, built a great relationship with one individual client. Yeah, and that kickstart started the whole agency. So I, I definitely see the value in all this. Um, how 
how what what's the difference in work you know in um, facilitating these relationships with freelancers versus studios? Um, I imagine it's harder, but I'm I'm curious because I think there's a lot of uh, you know we've been we've been uh, checking out crew. There seems to be a lot of really cool. Um, projects there. I mean, what has there been any challenges on the agent on the small studio side? Yeah. So one of the the challenges, a lot of it comes from attracting projects. So the way we do it at Crew, it's in a, an automated way when a project is coming in, and so when it's in that fashion, we don't have a lot of people involved doing that. We often have to build a lot more trust to attract the project sizes that can meet the minimums of uh, many good studios. So that's definitely one of the challenges. Now we have improved. So if we look at the first year, our average project budget size was $3,000. These were small projects mainly meant for freelancers. Now we're at about $10,000. So that's about 3x. You know, we've grown since uh, in just three years. And we're starting to see six-figure projects. And very common projects are between 20 and 50K. So we're starting to see that move up. And I believe that's a factor of the trust that we've been building uh, showing a lot of the work, building a more trustworthy site, uh, our service keeps improving. And so that's, that's one of the things that we do want to help with because I know that often a studio can do great work when there's a lot of components to a project. You know, you've got three or four people that all work together, they know each other well. Uh, that's a really good recipe for building a product that has design, development, and might even be cross-platform. Um, so yeah, that, I think that's that's one of the challenges that we've been we've been working on. Awesome. Well, for those of you that are listening, if you're not on Crew, you should check it out. If you're a small studio or a freelancer, um, you know I don't know if it's invite only still or not, but um, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, so there was something that you sent me when we were planning this episode. I'll just read this uh, just so we can get into uh, talking yeah. about it. You said, often when we want to do something great, we feel we have to build great right away. And often this leads to building too much, and there's many problems uh, with doing that, right? Um, I think you know this is something from the agency side that I see all the time. Um, and a lot of it is, is um, acting as a consultant, working with usually a startup entrepreneur who thinks they know exactly what they need to do, and they just go straight away mm-hmm. at it. And, um, and, and in, in very little time, they burn through a lot of cash on designing and, and trying to build something that they don't even know has um, market validation. What has been your approach to navigating that, that problem and, and figuring out how to reach greatness and how to structure it in a way that makes sense to, to do over time? Yeah, I think there's a variety of factors that play into why you know, the odds sometimes skew against you when you build too big right away. Uh, part of it is what you mentioned. Part of it is even just you lose momentum. You, know, people, you don't launch something. Nothing ever gets out there and you keep changing you know, copy or this little thing here there. You're, you start to get in like the soup and you're like, ah, I don't even know where I am anymore. I don't know what's supposed to work or what's not. I had an original idea, but I've gone through five or six different versions, but we haven't put that out front of everybody so then you've got like these five talking heads in your own head that are all telling you kind of confusing you and you create this own paradox of choice and then you lose some confidence and you put that up and you know now that you've spent you know let's say 
more time, let's say three times more than you wanted to on this. So now you expect three times more for the return. And if you don't get that, that kills your motivation. And, and that motivation is what's key, especially for software products, and especially to continue going and going and going and keep building because yep. that's what it is. You know, if you look every year, Apple's going to change their stuff. You, know, you have to keep updating. There's going to be a new thing. There's going to be a shift that happens and it's evolving way too fast. So that's why I definitely think if you're building something online or in software, uh, it is one of the ways to go, even if you're confident. And what is the way to go? You know, what does a minimum viable product or what does this small thing look like? Uh, I often look at it as, so I don't, I don't write code. I can design a little bit. And I think those constraints are actually really good for testing early ideas. A lot of early ideas kind of need to start in this ugly, primitive way uh, because you'll, you'll figure out where the really nasty parts are because you're going to feel it yourself. You're, you've got mm-hmm. this hack job thing that you put together, and when people start coming into it and you're staying up all night answering, answering emails to solve this one problem, you know where to design. You know Now you know where to put some development resources. That's the big problem in this whole set of problems that solves this one like big pain point. So you're, and that's kind of, that's uh, addressing what you said earlier, the paradox of choice. If you know where to focus your time to, um, to create a delightful experience to a customer, then that's where you can spend your time, get a, get a win in instead of working on a bunch of things without really seeing anything happen and not knowing where to spend your time. So you're going to build them all to a certain level, but you might realize you built eight things, six of them, people care 20% about, mm-hmm. you know, two of them, people care 80% about, but you've built equally across all. And some of this might've just been extra. Now it dilutes people's attention when they're in your product. So that even hurts the other two. So it's this really interesting, I think, mix of order of operations. You know, it happens in math and I think it's super important when you build. And we dealt with this with crew, with Unsplash. I mean, crew started, we could have built code. I have co- we have four co-founders, two of them uh, design and develop, and but we decided not to. You know, we, we actually had six months left worth of money, and this was one of the constraints that we had. And we knew that pretty much building anything that the way, the way that we wanted it to look would eat up that time way yeah. faster than we, we could prove what was really important to keep the company going. And to keep the company going, we knew a lot of it was based on the growth trajectory because that would prove there's enough people interested in this, even if it's basic and primitive and, and hardly works. So is that what you meant by Google Docs? Yeah. So, <laughs> so when, I mean, we didn't even, like a landing page, one page website, we didn't even do that for the first version. It was, uh, I remember we split our days. You know, So we need to, with crew, we needed to attract projects and we needed to attract designers and developers. So uh, the morning would be attracting designers and developers. Basically, we just set up a giant spreadsheet, went manually through all the portfolios that we could find. We guessed at how many we would probably need based on the number of projects that we could attract, that we were attracting in the afternoon. Uh, and we, we, we put it on a weekly basis. So we sent projects, we're like, we'll send projects every Saturday at the start. And we'll just use that as the gauge for how many projects we think we can attract a week and we'll slowly grow. We'll grow the designers, we'll grow the projects and we'll just keep going back and forth. And at the same time, every week then, we'll see what was the biggest pain point in our process. 
You know, what, what held us back from getting a project set up? So like the first week, it was all through email. You know, we'd find, let's say, somebody who's looking for a freelancer on Twitter. We'd say, hey, we have this, this group of 50 designers that have all been handpicked and curated. Uh, we can send your project to them this Saturday, and we'll introduce you to them on Sunday. You know, it's a very low-level thing for somebody to agree to. And we did all of it by email, so the entire back and forth. Uh, we did it with 10 projects. So that was a lot of work for us. So the first version for us was actually a form. You know, it sounds stupid. It sounds so basic. And you still don't even need any code for that. Uh, but we wanted to prove what's the next step. Great. And then we have a form. And then the form started to work. And we could accept multiple projects coming in. Then it was like, how do we actually prove that this could be a business? So we needed to accept funds. And this could be a whole big challenge, right? The thinking is, in order to accept funds, you have to build a lot of trust. You have to show people you know, that security and these sorts of things in order to accept credit card. Uh, we kind of did a hack version again. So at the time, Wufu, one of the form builders, mm-hmm. uh, had an integration with Stripe. So this was like the first time this was possible. And they had a, a trial account where you could do up to five transactions. So what we did is for each project, we set up these trial accounts on Wufu. And basically, it would just send this one line thing that said, put your email and your credit card and the amount. And it would charge. So when somebody was ready to work with a designer, that's how we would accept payment. And we thought, if, if somebody's going to do that, and people are willing to do that, if we just make this better, people will a lot more people will probably do this. <laughs> right. you know, so, and people were doing it. You know, we had... $2,000 transactions going through this, 5000 10000 And we said, okay, this is probably proving that there's, there's a business here. Uh, yes, we know that we need to improve this thing, but we've spotted all the problems. And we kept going on that week to week mm-hmm. over and over and over. And by the, by the time it was three, four months later, we had grown. You know, we were accepting almost $200,000 in, in projects a month of approved work that was coming in. And it was turning into kind of that future vision that we had. Wow, that's that's incredible. I, I wish more people would, you know, you know, take your advice on that. I, I just see so many people waste so much time and money too soon, you know, and it and it, it's really painful too when you're on the consulting side because you know you're there to to do what someone asks, and even if you advise someone, like you still, you know, they're still your customer. But it, you know, and usually when you're you're working with a, a new startup. You're, you know, there's a small amount of money on the line, and sometimes it's someone's savings right. account. Yeah, it's, it's very challenging because, uh, you know, people come in, right? And you, you probably get this. We get this all the time. Uh, I'd like to build an app that does this. Okay, that's great, but we've actually skipped a question, right? Do you need to build an app? Right. And that's a really hard question to ask when we're in the business of helping people build, you know, and. Uh, I've, I've started to, we, we do this inside of, of crew actually. Sometimes we'll even talk somebody out of using us. And it's because I, I do genuinely believe that if they start in this way, slowly and steady, they're going to be to the point when they do need the app and they do need this other thing. Uh, the confidence level, the chance that we build it right, it's a lot higher. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. And I'd rather have them come then and also have them have the confidence that they built all of this, this stuff and that's behind them now, you know, and they don't have to, they don't have to prove that at the same time as bringing a product 
totally new into the market. Yeah, that's um, that, that's awesome. So, um, if you want, I mean, would you be open to sharing a little bit about how your product team is structured and how you guys uh, focus on like uh, major releases or features or certain experiential parts of the of the product? Like, how does how is the labor divided, and how you got how do you guys uh, make decisions about what to build and how do you structure who? Yeah, does like it? Uh, building crew specifically. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we have a team of about 10 designers and engineers. Uh, we have no project managers and no product managers. Um, so that's, that's one thing that we've, we've actually noticed a lot within Crew. Um, it's, one of the, it's, it's challenging. You know, I think you can have good product managers. You can have good project managers. I often act as a, a product manager or project manager sometimes. Uh, but we try to reduce that to a minimum. I think sometimes it can happen very quickly where you have a whole bunch of layers in between the work and the business goal, and the more of those layers that happen, uh, it gets just more challenging to have the person who's actually building it relate back to the business goals. So that's one of the, the structural things uh, that, we, that we have set up. Quick question about that. So does the buck, does the buck stop with you, or do you give these uh, designers uh, autonomy to... Uh, make certain decisions and what is it like seeing your original idea um, morph over time as different people are working yeah, on it? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question and we've iterated actually a lot on our process around this. Um, so we just had a conversation two days ago where uh, first what we were doing is I'm usually involved in the initial idea. You know, what should this look like? What's the best way of doing it? But it's, we're, we're still in Google Docs at this point, just thinking through and having conversations. Uh, once we think we have it, it's 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 still like it's like Jello in a in a thing, uh, but it's not like fully stable. You know, we don't know exactly what's going to be. We don't do like a full spec yet. Uh, so there's a lot of autonomy at that stage. It's still just written things that a designer or developer might start working on, and then they'll they'll start working on it, and then I'll come in at a feedback stage, pretty much right before it's about to launch. That's how we were doing it. One of the challenges is I think I was coming in too late, right? So there there had been a few major forks in the road that had already happened, uh, and it morphed into something that was kind of different. And when you're building a product, you've got opinions coming from operations team. You've got opinions coming from the support team, sales team, and uh, and even myself. So uh, when that all happens in the mix, sometimes the direction can shift into different ways, and it looks very different from the original. And I think that's totally cool. Uh, so, but one of the things that we've introduced is because I, I'm involved in the beginning, we're adding a couple more touch points for uh, if there's, you know, a, a fork in the road that the designer or developer thinks is a fork in the road. So I'm not saying that I'm not determining what that fork in the road is. You know, it's their call, and we'll keep trying to improve that that intuition over and over. What What is a fork in the road? You know, is a fork in the road that the logo is off or is a fork in the road that the copy is not right or is a fork in the road to like this major direction of the feature? And I definitely let our team make those decisions. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be crazy for you. I mean, you guys have grown so quickly. Um, we've grown, but not as, not as, not as, not as fast. And, you know, we, we, we started as one person and two Three and a half years later, we're we're thirteen. But it's it's crazy to see how 
what it doesn't matter what you're making, whether it's an agency or a company or a product, you know, I, I want something that I, I'm just obsessed with is just seeing how the, the future changes based on the, the folks that are working on it. And I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. And I, I enjoy once, and I think it takes a bit of time for, well, let's say somebody's new starts uh, and your intuitions to sort of align. You know, what does good look like? Often for us, it's, we call it good fast. You know, something that can be put up quickly, but also good. And if you all have the same idea of that, once you have that, then I think it's a very hands-off process. So people who have been at Crew for you know, one plus year, that's usually the mark of, of when it happens. Sometimes it happens faster, you know, within six months. Uh, those product building processes are very fast you know I may be involved in the beginning and just a tiny bit like right before it launches uh, but to hone that intuition over time uh, it's really interesting and then once you guys are in line with that intuition it leaves room for whoever you've hired whoever's working on that to add their piece to it and that can surprise you and I love that like that's my favorite part when somebody builds something that's way better than anything that I thought of yeah. I, I used to, when I was freelancing, um, I was responsible for 90 to hundred percent of all the work. <laughs> and, and now it's, um, I mean, I kind of like you, maybe I almost do no hands on work. <laughs> it's, that's been a, tra- that's been actually as a designer in running, in running a business, one of the hardest things for me to, 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 to deal with, uh, diversifying the, the role, the delegating. Yeah. And and allowing people to figure it out, and but I don't know now I, I don't now I'm obsessed with that uh, ability to you know go across all these different work streams and you know p- plant ideas but see them come to life by someone right. else. I have another question for you, um, just because of the nature of your business, um, how do you guys evaluate freelancers and studios that want to be part of Crew? Um, who is it that looks at the work and says, "Oh, this is great UX work," or, you know, "This is tasteful"? Like, how how do you how do you decide who gets in? Who yeah, gets? so it's actually very similar to our full time hiring process. Uh, we'll look for, for example, let's say you're a mobile designer. You come on and say, uh, "I built three apps that are all live, uh, minimum forty reviews that are four and a half stars." So that's, that's like a basic requirement that we look for for the work that you've put up and said that you've done. And then we go through a series of looking at other things, you know, things like your writing, what you're tweeting about, um, getting a full view of the person as if we would hire them. And then we do a, a full interview and everything. This is all done by a human. So mm-hmm. we have only a few hundred members that have been accepted to crew because I would rather have fewer members fulfill tons of work for each member uh, then have the issue that often happens. I've seen a lot, you know, when I was freelancing and looking at the different options for where we could find work online, a lot of them get diluted very quickly with thousands and thousands of professionals or people who say that they claim to be designers and these sorts of things. The vetting conditions go down. And then what happens is everything competes on price and you get this really bad dynamic where people aren't necessarily looking for a high quality result anymore. They're looking for something that gets the job done uh, for the cheapest price. Mm-hmm. So we're building all the mechanics we can to try to prevent that. And sometimes it actually stunts our own growth, you know, because we're, we turn away 
we turn away 70% of the projects that get posted on crew. And I think it's just important to slowly grow. You know, we need to let in a few members as we grow the projects, make sure everybody has enough work and we're evaluating each member as if they'd be joining the team. That's really interesting. Well, what's next for you and crew? What are the big things that, like, what do you think you, where do you, what are you going to be doing next year? Yeah, so I, I think in the original, you know, when we introduced the call, there's a bunch of stuff that we've done that we've been working on. You know, there's crew, there's Unsplash, there's our office space that we turned into a, a cafe and co-working space. I, what our real focus is now is turning inward on all of those things and making them better. So we're not looking to do five more projects. We're looking to take the existing projects and just really go deep on them. So for crew, for example, I'm really obsessing about how can we go so far in the managing the project thing where it takes away all unnecessary back and forth communication or you as a designer don't even have to worry about telling a client what they need to be looking at at this milestone. You never have to follow up with a payment. Uh, the feedback that tools that we built in are all basically guiding you through this process. It makes it enjoyable for everybody. Um, that, that's I want to get into that level rather than building, you know, some next crazy feature that has this big gamble attached to it. We're not sure if it's going to be useful. Um, yeah, maybe it could be like help us grow a ton, but I'd rather grow through building a really great product for the existing customers, have them refer to people that they trust. So ultimately this, this whole community is based on trust. I can't agree more. Uh, you know, I think it, especially when you're doing design work, whether you're an agency or, or a freelancer, uh, the, the most critical thing to, to do is, is build that trust so that, you know, people open up their doors and let you tackle you know, bigger, more exciting problems. And, you know, that's, I, I think that your ability to build trust is, there might be a few people that hate me for saying this, but I think that's more important than the actual work that you no, do. No, it's very important. I mean, th- it, this is right in line with why we look at two factors for every member or studio that applies. It's not only the quality of work that, how your portfolio looks, but how you work. And that's really hard to evaluate. So often, you know, when somebody goes in crew, there's there's an evaluation that's done. We're watching the performance on the projects of how you work. It's not just great, like the result was good, but there's another, a second element. And we've seen it firsthand so many times. If you work really well, A+, plus, you're a person to work with, your design actually doesn't need to be A+. Plus. It's almost like this mental shift that happens. People feel confident. And there's this just trust that builds that, you know, yes, I'm going to get A, a work. Great if you can do A-plus work, but you're already A-plus to work with. And that's a yeah. whole other yeah. level. That's a whole other bar that a lot of people don't pay attention to. Yeah, I think that's really important to me, too, because I think, you know, sometimes, especially, you know, young designers, for example, haven't been around the block long enough to really work in enough places to build a diverse portfolio. Yeah. And so their portfolio generally looks like, you know, the opportunities that were given to right. them. And, and so you kind of have to, well, I think you have to be willing to look at, evaluate a freelancer or a designer by um, what, what is their potential? Do they understand the processes uh, necessary to arrive from point A to point C? And are, are you going to love working right. with them? 
because it, you know, and, and this is something we tell our clients is like, what you're going to get out of this is largely related to how well we work together. And, um, and I, I think that's awesome. The way that you guys, um, the way that you guys, uh, look at this, I, I've been telling a lot of my, my friends about it. Um, why don't you tell everyone how they can, how they can find you on the interwebs? Yeah. So, uh, I'm on Twitter, Mikel Cho, M-I-K-A-E-L-C-H-O, uh, medium. It's the same handle. That's where I do a lot of my writing, uh, and also ink. So if you just Google my name, a bunch of these links will pop up and crew site is crew.co, C-R-E-W dot C-O. All right. Well, uh, thanks again, man. It's been been a pleasure to talk to you again yeah thanks a lot anthony thanks man we'll see you next time i guess all right bye-bye take care this episode of hustle is brought to you by envision design better faster together learn more at envisionapp.com hustle is brought to you by Funsize, a digital product design studio that crafts delightful digital user experiences with inspiring product companies Follow us at HustleCast and FunSize on Twitter. 